Welcome to our continuing 2019 educational webinar series. I'm Katherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager for FIRST Healthcare Compliance. At FIRST Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have Jean M. Ransom III, who is the current CEO, CEO of MedCi, the Maryland State Medical Society. He is a lifelong resident of Queen Anne's County and former president of County Commission. Jean was elected to Queen Anne's County Commission in November of 2002 and was the only incumbent county commissioner re-elected in the 2006 election. Ransom graduate, graduated cum laude from the University of Maryland with honors in economics and the University of Baltimore School of Law. As a MedCi executive, Ransom works to implement MedCi's mission as an advocate for physicians, patients, and the public health of Maryland. MedCi is the largest physician organization in Maryland. A copy of the slides is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your PACOM and PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you following the broadcast. Your PACOM certificate will come directly from PACOM and your PMI certificate will come to you from our email. There is no need to request either one. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. A download of the handout is available with a button on the bottom right-hand side of your screen. So, Jean, welcome. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> um, and I'm really excited to be here today to talk about uh, an overview of medical cannabis uh, and how it's working in Maryland. Uh, but first, I thought I would let everybody know what MedCi is, because it can be a little confusing. We're the state medical society with a funny name. Uh, MedCi is the seventh oldest medical society in the United States, and we've been around since 1799. Uh, we're actually about 40 years uh, older than the AMA, and we're the official component of the American Medical Association here in Maryland. Uh, we offer continuing medical education, we fight and advocate on uh, payment issues, and we pretty much provide services to physicians uh, regardless of where they work, if they're employed or independent, and we work on um, physicians, patients, and the public health of Maryland. Uh, our advocacy uh, is really nonstop uh, in Maryland, and we spend a lot of time uh, talking to the Maryland General Assembly about different policies. One of the policies that we've been talking quite a bit about uh, as of late is uh, marijuana, and this is not uncommon uh, for the entire country. Uh, in fact, uh, the United States has seen over the last few years an increase in discussion around marijuana. Ten states have authorized uh, the use of medical of, of actual recreational uh, marijuana as well as uh, medical marijuana. Those 10 states include Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, Colorado, Mich Michigan, Massachusetts, Vermont, Maine, Alaska, and Washington, D.C. And then an additional 23 states have actually authorized just medical marijuana. The state of Maryland falls into that category. 
Uh, I'm using the term authorized specifically and actually rather importantly because the federal government still treats marijuana uh, as a legal substance, as an illegal substance, uh, and marijuana is illegal uh, federally uh, as the states have changed uh, the policies and authorized it. The federal government really hasn't changed their stance, and I'm going to go through that a little bit. Uh, this big policy shift that's occurring, and here's a picture of a map that kind of gives a good breakdown of where, uh, what folks have done and what states have done. Uh, green being places where recreation and medical use are allowed, uh, light blue being um, uh, uh, medical use only, and dark blue being CBD only. Uh, and then there's the gray ones where everything is illegal pretty much, uh, totally under state law. And again, under federal law, everything's illegal as well. Uh, but as we've had this renaissance or this issue where people have been rethinking how they think about cannabis and medical marijuana uh, nationally, uh, different states have been handling it differently. And what I'm really going to focus on today is the process that we've used in Maryland and how it fits in with other states with regards to medical cannabis um, uh, and how it's being used and what are the legal uh, implications and how different uh, how we've at least done it in Maryland moving forward and how it compares to some of the other jurisdictions. But let's start with this issue of federal law. Again, cannabis, uh, marijuana are not legal under federal law. It is not a controlled substance. So you might say, why would any physician or any nurse or anyone get involved with this or recommend this in any way? Well, first of all, uh, there is a little bit of law that uh, creates a little clarity for physicians. There's a case, Conan versus Walters, that was decided by the Ninth Circuit and the Supreme Court left it standing, which means they did not take certiorari. And it ruled that the federal government could not revoke a physician's ability to write prescriptions because they discussed medical marijuana with their patients. Essentially, the courts have held thus far that practitioners have a First Amendment right to discuss medical marijuana with their patients. And that's a really important distinction. The physician or the nurse practitioner, whoever's doing this, uh, is not actually handing the product out. They're not talking, they're not giving them and they're not selling it. Uh, that type of situation puts you at a much higher risk. In almost every framework in every state that's allowed this, all they've done is they've set up a framework where the physician can write a recommendation. And they use that term specifically because they're thinking about the, um, the Walters case and how that works. Uh, and essentially that First Amendment right to discuss uh, marijuana with patients. However, it's really important to understand, and if you're going to do this, even in a state where marijuana is completely legal, uh, no, I should say authorized, not legal, completely authorized by the state, um, if you're going to be doing this, it's really important that you understand that it is still not legal under federal law, and you need to communicate that to your patients so they understand the risk they're taking, because there are all kinds of implications with regards to their employment, where they use the product, and it's really important that you understand this distinction. If you take one thing away from this presentation, it's understanding that the federal law and the state law are very different things, and that, that this uh, contradiction can create problems with regards to this system. It creates all kinds of technical problems that I'm not gonna get into right now, particularly for growers and dispensers of marijuana uh, who have difficulty with regards to banking and other issues. I'm really gonna focus on healthcare practitioners and how it works for them, but I think it's important to understand. So this right to communicate uh, with the patient really puts doctors in a different position 
from other people who are in this space or in this part of um, uh, the medical marijuana industry moving forward. And that's why in most state statutes, and Maryland is like this as well, what happens is, is that the person who is making a medical marijuana recommendation is making a recommendation and the word script is never used. And really it's because of the court ruling, but it's also because this is not a scheduled drug and it is not legal for a practitioner to write a prescription for a non-scheduled drug. There were additional federal protections that were in place. Uh, the prior uh, presidential administration, the Obama administration, had issued a very clear memo called the Cole Memo, uh, which essentially gave instructions not to pursue providers and patients who complied with state cannabis laws. Uh, this administration, uh, back in January of last year, repealed that memo, and that's no longer the case. Um, so now there's more complexity and confusion with regards to the federal law. Uh, and while the Department of Justice uh, did not come out when Jeff Sessions repealed this law and say, let's go prosecute everybody, they gave discretion essentially to every region, and they could decide what level of resources, if any, to target to cannabis enforcement. So clearly, this created more confusion and more complexity in the industry uh, when this change was made. Uh, the Obama administration with the Cole Memo and other acts that clearly signaled uh, that they were not going to prosecute and there weren't problems, and now we have more of a gray area under the current administration. Uh, on the MedKai website, we have links to some of these documents uh, if you want more information uh, on the current direction or on the prior direction uh, of the um, uh, Obama administration. Uh, essentially, now, um, under the current rule, uh, marijuana activities and prosecution uh, are really uh, left to uh, the local federal prosecutors, the local regions to decide. Um, and they really need to take into consideration um, the resources and, and the, the, uh, the facts around it. We're not aware of a major increase in um, prosecutions or, or a real change in behavior yet, but it's something that's created increased uncertainty. And it's something that you should be aware of if you're going to get involved uh, into, this, um, uh, into this business space. Now, one of the other things, uh, besides just the direction from the Justice Department, uh, first under Obama with the Cole Memo, and then later under Sessions uh, with his report, the other thing that was protecting folks in this industry was the idea that federally there were restrictions uh, in the budget that restricted funding for prosecuting medical cannabis programs. Uh, this language has been protected in the budget, and it is a restriction on funding uh, uh, being allowed to be used for this by the Justice Department. However, this again needs to be renewed on a regular basis uh, and is a very tentative way uh, to protect this part of industry. Uh, there really is no clear statute or federal law that allows medical cannabis, and that's really important to understand. Now recently, uh, they have just passed an act with regards to hemp, uh, but that's not quite the same as the medical marijuana that is being recommended and, and used in many of the states where it's legal. Uh, but that will be a new wrinkle on this and a new change to, to what's happening going forward. Um, one thing that might signal that the Supreme Court might be ready for a new change, uh, and while this is a little bit of an aside, I think it might be a signal. Some of you might have heard or, or, or heard about uh, the, the, this dispute 
with regards to gaming. Um, and the and the Supreme Court uh, back in 2018 uh, struck down uh, the federal government's uh, uh, ruling that uh, gambling on sports wasn't allowed, um, overruling that. And if you recall, several states like New Jersey and others had essentially passed laws ignoring the federal government moving forward so they could gamble. Uh, and the reason I bring this up is because that case might signal uh, because it's somewhat a similar situation where the federal government is saying something's not legal and the states are authorizing it, uh, that might signal that that maybe this court would consider uh, making a change as well. Um, this might be somewhat of an aside, but I, I think it's an interesting thing to watch. And sometimes it's hard to get tea, reads on, tea readings on what the Supreme Court is going to do or is not going to do. Uh, so you have to look to other things. Uh, I do think that as more and more states authorize the use of both recreational and medical uh, uh, cannabis, there'll be continuing pressure to make a change federally and do something. But right now, if you're getting into this, this area, this space, you're taking a risk and you need to understand that and be aware of it. So now what I'm gonna do is talk a little bit at, about how Maryland set up our program. And I'll talk about how it compares to other states. Uh, and I think one of the important things to understand is when you've seen one medical cannabis program in one state, you've seen one medical cannabis program in one state. So it's really important if this is something you're interested in to really learn the law in your state and understand it so you can understand how you would work into the framework. So the state of Maryland, like many states, uh, has had somewhat of a difficult start to this program. We actually initially passed legislation in 2013 and there was really no uptake on it. No one wanted to do it, but it created a framework for the program and several statutes have passed over the last few years that have kind of developed it. Uh, we have a medical cannabis commission, which consists of 16 members and they develop policies and procedures and guidelines. In Maryland, physicians are required to register with the Cannabis Commission if they're gonna write a marijuana or a cannabis recommendation. That is not the case in every state. In some states, just the very fact that you're a physician allows you to write that recommendation or certain classes of practitioners. In Maryland right now, dentists, podiatrists, and physicians and nurse practitioners are the four categories of practitioners that are allowed to write recommendations. This, uh, who can write a recommendation varies greatly from state to state. Um, in some states, other practitioners are allowed to. In some states, it's limited. So that's another thing that you really have to look at state law and see uh, what it is. The commission also develops recommending guidelines and it licenses um, uh, growers, processors, dispensaries, and independent testing labs. Um, and I will say on this front too, every state is a little different on how they license these different aspects of it. Maine has a very unique rule where they allow you to grow plants for up to a certain number of people. The Illinois structure is very similar to Maryland. It was actually developed a little before Maryland and Maryland is somewhat copied after that. So again, I think it's important to understand that every state law is a little different, but a lot of the themes are very similar. So if you are in another state, uh, understanding the Maryland stuff is not unhelpful because you'll see that the framework is very similar to what happens um, in other jurisdictions that have set up some type of framework for regulation. Um, so this is a breakdown of our composition of our commission here in Maryland. As you can see, they've really picked different segments of the healthcare community to have them represented on the, um, uh, on the, uh, on the board and uh, including physicians and, uh, 
and other scientists, pharmacists, uh, and the Secretary of Health or their designee is also on there. Uh, in Maryland, essentially, everybody is required to work through the commission. Uh, every part of the system is. They determine who gets the grow licenses, the dispenser licenses, and the growers are the people who actually grow the product. The dispensers are the ones who actually sell it, and the processor license, they change it into different formats. Um, everybody who wants to be a medical marijuana or a cannabis commission patient uh, has to go to the website and log in. You have to log in and get a number. Uh, so the website, the Cannabis Commission website, really is the, um, uh, the kind of starting point for everybody uh, who wants to be involved in this in our state. Uh, and literally the data system that you register with as a patient is connected to the data system that is a recommender. And when they make a recommendation, they do it through the Cannabis Commission's website. And the dispensers and growers are looking at the data connected to the website as well. So it's all connected uh, tightly together uh, to make sure that everybody's working with the same system. There are a lot of reasons for this. Uh, the main goal of the statute when it was written was to prevent diversion. And the thought process is if everybody can see the same information, that should prevent that. Um, it also means that a patient who gets a recommendation from a doctor can't go and get it filled above the cap or the limit because every dispensary can see exactly what they purchased. So if they buy some from one dispensary, uh, the next dispensary will sell them whatever is left under the limit, but they won't sell them more. So it was really set up to kind of protect everybody. Uh, and again, uh, different states do this in different ways. This is, a, this is one form that actually is similar to, to many states, but uh, uh, this is how we're doing it here in Maryland. So as of um, January 2019, uh, the state of Maryland has authorized 15 marijuana growers, 16 processors, and 71 dispensaries. We have more than 1,000 healthcare providers, most of whom are, who are physicians who are writing recommendations. More than 50,000 patients are eligible to buy medical cannabis. That means they've received the recommendation. And uh, Baltimore uh, and Montgomery counties lead the state in the number of patients and providers. And that makes sense, frankly, because they're two of the larger jurisdictions in the more urban area. So here's the breakdown of uh, providers who are able in Maryland to write recommendations who've signed up. So there are 755 physicians, 406 nurse practitioners. And when it says nurse, that means nurse practitioner. 77 dentists and 15 podiatrists. So one of the concerns when the bill first passed, when the legislation first passed, was that there wouldn't be enough uh, folks uh, to fill the um, recommendations. There wouldn't be enough physicians and others willing to take that risk. And as you can see, that's clearly not the case, um, that there clearly is a lot of demand and interest. Now, you might also say, well, what's a podiatrist or a dentist doing writing recommendations? Um, well, they do have to write them within the scope of their practice, um, uh, and they do have to um, they do have to follow all the rules. This cannot be a sham; it has to be a real relationship. And I'll talk a little more about that uh, in a second. Here's the breakdown by location as of uh, earlier uh, this year, um, uh, and you can see the number of patients and population. Uh, very interesting data. Uh, and these are obviously some of the larger jurisdictions in Maryland, for those of you who aren't familiar with our state. Uh, but you can see um, the percentage of the state's population um, and the um, and the size of each um, uh, the size of each um, uh, patient and um, providers and and uh, going forward. One of the things that's required 
is uh, when you make a recommendation, you're a provider, so the patient signs up through the website and then they, they go to a physician who's a, who's a licensed recommender, a marijuana recommender, and they see the physician and the physician then makes a recommendation. They're supposed to state a condition that fits under the statute. And I'll go through that a little bit in a second. This is the breakdown of the conditions that are being registered. As you can see, uh, chronic pain uh, is number one and other is number two. Um, the other, when you talk to physicians about what that means, it could mean that it is something like uh, Parkinson's disease or fibromyalgia, and they fit into a couple things possibly. Um, there has been some concern about the number of others, um, and I think we're trying to get a little more pinned down data on what that actually means. Um, but that's some policymakers have expressed concern that, that what is that? Is that too many? Why aren't they conditions that really make sense uh, fitting forward? But you'll see that chronic pain is clearly uh, the number one reason for a recommendation in Maryland, at least. Uh, here's a breakdown. If you look at the state here of Maryland on where the dispensaries that were approved uh, as of 2018, um, as I showed you earlier, we have 71 that have been finally approved. There are 102 that have been pre-approved. Now, that means they could be pre-approved. There's these other 30 or 40 or so that have been a lot who have told, yes, you can go forward, but they haven't made it through all the rules or regulations to, to get finally opened up. So the dispensaries where you go and buy the marijuana, they are, um, when they're approved or when they're allowed to go forward, once they meet all the conditions uh, with the Cannabis Commission to be approved by them, local zoning and local rules with regards to land use. Uh, and that has been an impediment for some of them to get open up, uh, particularly in certain jurisdictions. And as you can see, as you would expect, uh, most of these are in the more urban areas in the state of Maryland. Um, I don't think this is dissimilar from other states. I will say that there is a great variation with regards to how states have dealt with dispensaries. Um, the District of Columbia has a unique gifting rule, which is somewhat very different and odd, uh, and they allow recreational marijuana. The, um, the, the other states uh, have uh, allowed uh, somewhat of a pure competitive situation. Others have given the licenses out, most have given licenses out, creating some monopolistic tendencies, um, but we've obviously opened a large number of, or are opening a large number of dispensaries uh, in the state of Maryland. So let's talk more about the physician responsibilities under the Maryland law. Um, again, I think this is probably one of the other really important takeaways. If you're a practitioner, and I don't care what state you're in, if you're going to do this, you have the same responsibility and obligation to a medical cannabis patient as you do to any other patient. So I have heard stories of practitioners opening up shops and seeing large numbers of people and not having real relationships. Those people are going to get in trouble. It's a bad idea. Most doctors would never do that or never think about doing that. But um, while there might be a temptation, because these are usually non-covered service and you can make money on it, you need to be really careful. Because if you start seeing large numbers of people and writing recommendations and you have a bad outcome, you still have the same responsibility to those, those patients as you do to any other patient. The second thing is it is really important to understand you are not prescribing marijuana, you are writing a recommendation. Now in the state of Maryland, they make that really easy because the only way you do it is through the system. But in other states, that could be a complicated nuance to understand. Something you need to realize, um, registration. The physician, as I said earlier, must register with the commission in the state of Maryland. Different states have different rules with regards to this. In some states, just the very essence of being a physician uh, allows you 
to, um, to allows you to go ahead and write recommendations. But in our state, you have to register uh, and be a recommender. I will say that a lot of physicians at MedChi, the Maryland State Medical Society, like this rule. Uh, the reason is, is they don't want to be involved in this. And if they're not rec a recommender, they won't have people bothering them or pestering them. Uh, it's not a heavy burden to file the certification to register. It's online. It's very easy. We do have restrictions. If you're in pro on probation or have issues with the Board of Physicians uh, where you might be allowed to do other types of medicine, they don't allow you to do this. But again, uh, you have to register with a commission here in Maryland. Uh, this is something that will be pretty easy for you to figure out if you're in another state what the rules are. But it's a good thing to stop and ask about and see exactly what the rules are. And again, my physicians who are not doing medical marijuana like the idea that there's a special registration process because that means that they don't get bothered by people who want uh, a marijuana recommender and if it's something they're not comfortable with. So one of the things though that happened uh, is uh, it was difficult. A lot of patients were trying to find physicians uh, who did recommendations. So we actually compiled a list at MedChi um, of folks who are willing to take patients. And we did that because patients were having trouble figuring out of the many doctors in Maryland, which one were recommenders and which one weren't. The Cannabis Commission doesn't really maintain a consumer-friendly list uh, here in Maryland, and they don't want to be in the process of making referrals. So we've been somewhat taking that role. We also actually, even though we've had really no position on whether or not marijuana is acceptable or whether or not it works as a society, we have been building resources and working on this issue, and we have a medical cannabis task force here in Maryland, uh, here at MedChi. Uh, we've put together on our website, and it's open and free to everybody, all kinds of resources on medical cannabis and where to get it, and we continue to do work on making the system work well, and for those handful of physicians who really want to do this, uh, making it a, um, a, 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 real, uh, a real and positive um, uh, experience where they can understand and get questions answered to law and uh, other type issues that come up if you're going to be, pra be a practicing uh, medical marijuana recommender in Maryland. So uh, if you want to learn more about the Maryland law or you want to see some of the resources I mentioned earlier on the federal stuff, uh, www.medchi.org is the place to go and go to medical cannabis in Maryland. And again, it's open to everybody regardless of whether you're a mem member or not. So let's talk a little more about this Maryland law and what the requirements are for a physician to write this recommendation. And this is not dissimilar from other states. Uh, and again, like I said, it's really very similar to Illinois, who it was modeled after. First of all, the physician must have a bona fide relationship. They've got to have a real physician-patient relationship, uh, a treatment or counseling relationship between that patient and the physician. That is really important. You cannot do, you have to do in-person visits for the first meeting. You've got to review the patient's medical records. You've got to maintain medical records on these people. You need to do a real soap note, take follow-up, do follow-up. You need to treat them like a real patient. Um, if you are not getting their prior history and medical records um, and you're not keeping a, a medical record on the patient and you're not in giving follow-up and doing those things, you're going to be accused of not having a bona fide relationship uh, and you're going to have problems down the road, both with the Cannabis Commission and with the Board of Physicians here in Maryland. Uh, that is a specific requirement. These are specific requirements from the statute and from COMAR. 
The patients, uh, you must make a finding, and we suggest that the doctor actually document a statement similar to this in the notes, uh, but you must make a finding in order to make a recommendation that the patient's medical condition was severe, other medical treatments were deemed to be ineffective, and symptoms are expected to be relieved by medical cannabis. You have to be able to make that finding. Now, if the physician doesn't really think that medical cannabis is going to work and they don't believe in it and they, they say this is ridiculous, it should be tested like every other FDA drug, then they really shouldn't be doing this and they can't make that finding. The physician or the nurse practitioner or whoever's doing it needs to feel comfortable essentially making this finding and stating this and writing this in the medical record. So um, this is something you need to be comfortable with and you need to be able to do. Um, I would suggest that some that, for example, if you had a patient who came in let's say with Parkinson's disease, they were having lots of spasms, you would say um, the patient, patient X has Parkinson's degree disease, it's been severe, he's been deteriorating, uh, he's tried other medical treatments that are, are ineffective, um, and we're hoping that his uh, spasms and other issues can be relieved by medical cannabis, and we're gonna try medical cannabis. You know, you wanna write something like that much more artfully than I just said it into the actual record. If you have a patient who comes in who's 25 with no medical records and says they hurt their back playing basketball last night, that does not meet the standard as I showed you earlier. Uh, you haven't seen their medical records. Um, you, uh, you, you have somebody who has not tried other, um, other uh, items before they've come in to try medical marijuana. Uh, they need to try other things and have it fail. Um, so you're going to get yourself in trouble. Uh, the idea that someone can just open a shop and write a recommendation for anybody is, is an avenue for problems with both the state and federal government. So what are the conditions that qualify in the state of Maryland? It needs to be, as I said, a chronic or debilitating disease or medical condition that results in the patient being admitted to hospice or palliative care, so that's one. Then the other is a chronic or debilitating disease or medical condition uh, that causes, and then there's this list here, as you can see, anorexia, chronic pain, nausea, seizures. Um, they have added on glaucoma or post-traumatic stress disorder. And I will say post-traumatic uh, stress disorder has been very um, controversial, uh, but it is listed on there specifically. Uh, and the commission also has the power to add additional uh, conditions through a process. Um, so those are the specific conditions that you're able to write it. But again, as you saw earlier, there's somewhat of a catch-all phase. It is really important though that you document and show those conditions under Maryland law and put it in the record and say that's what's going on um, and, and, and have it all documented appropriately in a real standardized medical record. All right, the physicians must perform at least one in-person evaluation every 365 days to issue the written uh, certification. It is okay to do follow-ups however, and evaluations how you wanna do it. So I know some that are doing telephonically, I know some that are doing telemedicine, some are just seeing them once a year. I think that's a little risky, but that's a decision clinically that's up to the physician. Um, the physician can amend or revoke a certification on medical grounds. If the physician does not meet their inclusion criteria or the, uh, or the patient now meets an exclusion criteria. Let me explain what that means. So I was telling you about the website and how it works here in the state of Maryland where you sign up through the website uh, and what happens is the patient is signed up as a patient and has requested a card and they simply filled a form out and uploaded a picture. They then go to the physician 
and gets seen for their problem. And the doctor evaluates them and goes, yeah, I think that we should try medical marijuana to see if it improves their condition. Then what happens is when the patient comes in, he writes the recommendation by going in the state system and punching in that patient's number, certifying that patient in the system. So um, if, if two weeks later, they hear from somehow that the person is diverting, the doctor can immediately go in the system and they should immediately go in the system and, and remove the, the recommendation. The other thing that can happen is maybe the person comes in for a follow-up and says, I've been taking medical marijuana, it's been working great, and I want to continue doing it. And But I would like, you know, maybe I don't need as much, maybe you can lower the recommendation because the doctor can change the amounts in there. You could do that, or they could just leave it the same. Or maybe the person comes in and says, I took medical cannabis for for a few weeks and I'm better now. I don't need it anymore and the doctor can revoke it. So those are the different ways, but they have the ability at any time to go into the system uh, and take it out and, and amend it or change it. Uh, and that's an important uh, thing to understand. And again, under Maryland law, you must have at least one in-person evaluation every year. Uh, and that's a very important requirement. Uh, if you don't do that, uh, there will be a problem and you're violating uh, the statute. So. That essentially is the overview of how uh, the Maryland system and rule works. Um, however, um, there are a couple other things that are happening now as we move forward and look at what's going on right now in the General Assembly um, uh, with regards to medical marijuana. Uh, one is, is there are several pieces of legislation being considered in the state of Maryland to expand who can write a recommendation and add them to the list. And that's something that we're seeing. The other thing is, is that the General Assembly last year asked for a report on adding opioid use disorder to the list of uh, conditions uh, that are um, that qualify for medical marijuana. The report that was sent back, uh, a copy of which can be found on the MedChi website, uh, was very mixed and was not clear as to whether or not or, or it would work one way or the other. And that's that now is being debated before the General Assembly to decide whether or not to include opioid use disorder or addiction uh, and marijuana as a treatment for that. Uh, it's very controversial in the medical world. Um, the other thing that's occurring right now as far as an update with regards to the General Assembly uh, is the idea that we should add additional growers. And it does look like the state of Maryland is going to increase the number of grow applications. In fact, it has increased the number of grow applications, and that process is beginning to add a couple more growers. So we're continuing to morph and change as time has gone on. Uh, going back to the uh, other states, you're also hearing that numerous states are considering additional rules and regulations, uh, and some states are considering adding medical marijuana or going to recreational marijuana. Uh, while others are, are somewhat staying pat or resisting those efforts. Uh, in Maryland, we also have legislation that is unlikely to pass to go to recreational marijuana. So it looks like that's not going to happen, at least this year in Maryland. It probably will happen at some point in time uh, in the future. So uh, big takeaways with regards to medical marijuana. First of all, marijuana is not legal under federal law. This is a really important thing to understand. If you're dealing with a patient who is a federal worker, or spends time on federal property, you need to make sure they understand that. Secondly, you need to realize that if you're going to be a medical marijuana recommender, you need to understand you're doing something, you're involved with something, now you're not ever touching the product, you're simply making recommendations, and there's probably a 
relatively high level of protection for you, but you're doing something in a space where the other parties involved are not legal, and you're recommending something that's not legal under federal law. So you need to understand the risk that you're taking. It's really important that you understand that distinction and you realize that, and the patients you're recommending it to understand that and understand what they're doing. It can create all kinds of issues for uh, patients because uh, clearly uh, they could be terminated by their employer, they could have all kinds of issues with regards to this, so it's really important that you understand the risk you're taking. It's also really important that you think about um, the state laws and complying with all the rules and requirements. It's a new set of rules on top of what you're already doing. And in, in, in Maryland, for example, you have a host of rules and responsibilities that you have to comply with just in the normal practice of medicine. All those rules still apply, but then you have a new set of rules related to the Medical Cannabis Commission and how you do things. It's really important, and I would suggest that if you're going to do this, or if you're going to become a medical marijuana recommender in a state where it's legal to do so, that you talk to a, a, a lawyer who understands the law in your state and make sure that you're complying with all the rules. Not just that you're complying with all the rules, but then also that you're making good business decisions. Do you want to set up a separate LLC so you don't create problems with any of your insurance contracts? Do you want to make sure that the um, entity is separate so that you're not commingling funds from your marijuana recommender practice with your traditional practice? Do you want to make sure that the conditions that you want to treat with it are covered under the state in which you're doing it? These are the kind of questions that you really want to work through um, as a uh, as someone who wants to do medical marijuana recom uh, recommender, and every state is nuanced and a little different. I've kind of gone through the high level of what it's like in Maryland and what the rules and requirements are, and I've shown you the can Maryland Cannabis website and the MedKai website, which gives you a good starting point and a good jumping off point, but there are 33 different states with 33 different set, set of rules. Some states that have even passed it have much more restrictive rules than Maryland, and other states have much more liberal rules than Maryland. So it's really important that you take the time to, to learn that. And I guess the last thing is, is we have here in this state set up a very complicated legal and regulatory framework uh, for medical marijuana. And I hope I've given a little bit of an overview on that uh, so you can understand some things uh, going forward. So um, I guess now I will turn it back over for some questions that I think um, could come my way um, uh, with regards to uh, medical marijuana generally and, and particularly within the state of Maryland. Hey, thank you so much, Gene. I appreciate that. Uh, that was a very informative and, and concise uh, presentation on that. So we do have a few questions here. Um, the first one is, what should physicians consider before becoming a recommending physician? So I think the first thing you should do is you should find out what the law is in your state. And if you're in one of those states where it's not legal, don't do it. Uh, if you're in one of those states where they've authorized it, then what you should do is look and see what the framework is in the state that you're in and talk to somebody who is a legal expert in that area and make sure that what you're interested in doing because you think it could do some good for your patients, does that work in that state and, and how, uh, how would you fit into it? So for example, if you were an ophthalmologist and you really felt that this could be helpful for some of your glaucoma patients, you'd wanna make sure that your state, like Maryland does, has glaucoma as a condition that you can recommend for. Uh, you wanna make sure that whatever type of products that you're, you're thinking about recommending are able to be recommended uh, in, in the state that you're in. Um, so those are some of the types of questions that you need to consider. I also think it's very important that you think about some of the business considerations 
Uh, do you want to mix this in with your practice? And maybe that's appropriate in some cases, and maybe it's too risky in others. I think those are some of the questions that you're going to want to think about uh, if you're, you're planning on doing this. But again, I think it starts with understanding and learning the very specific rules in your state. Okay, thank you. Uh, another question, are there concerns about malpractice and recommending cannabis? Yes, uh, and this is a really good question, actually. So many malpractice carriers have very specific exclusions in their contracts. Um, a malpractice insurer will say that they will not cover an illegal service or product. So it is really important that you check with your malpractice carrier and understand um, whether or not medical marijuana, if authorized in your state, is allowed under your policy and if it's covered under your policy. Uh, if it is not, then this becomes a greater risk to you and your practice, obviously. Uh, if it is a covered service, uh, then that puts you in a little bit of a better situation. In the state of Maryland, we have some carriers that consider it a covered service because it's authorized by the state. We have other carriers that say, you know what, no, it's not legal under federal law, so we're not going to cover it. Now, having said that, that's the malpractice insurance piece of this, and that's a really important question to ask on the front end. I think it kind of fits in with one of those other questions you ask um, that the prior person had asked, uh, you know, do, whether or not I should do this or what do I need to find out before I start. But then the other thing to remember is there might be a temptation for some who are doing medical marijuana to, to think about this as different or not part of the practice of medicine. This is the practice of medicine and you owe those patients the same responsibility that you do any other patient that you have or that you're treating. And that's really important to understand. If you have a patient who's coming in with chronic chest pain and you recommend the medical marijuana without doing a full history or evaluation and with not really checking the records closely and they have a heart attack the next week, you could be sued for malpractice. And it's really important to understand that you owe them the same duty that you owe any other patient. Um, and I think most physicians get that. But I do suspect there are some who kind of think of this differently because this isn't really the same framework that we use for most drugs. So I do think that's a really important mindset. Uh, and I think the malpractice question is an important one that you need to ask your carrier. Okay. And uh, what are the biggest hurdles regarding the differences in state and federal regulations? I think the biggest problem is, is that the federal government really treats this still as an illegal drug. Uh, and that needs to change because technically, uh, while states have authorized it, you're still technically violating federal law if you're using medical cannabis, uh, even if it's been authorized in your state. And this difference creates a lot of uncertainty, and that uncertainty has only gotten worse with the changing in the administrations. Um, what we really need is for some really intelligent, thoughtful people to come up with a framework that makes sense that's consistent with the states and the federal government. And, and I think in the short run, as we're moving forward as practitioners who say, you know, some will say this is ridiculous, we shouldn't use medical marijuana, we should only use things that have gone through the FDA process. And I hear a lot of physicians who tell me that. And then I have other physicians who say, you know what, this might work, it makes a lot of sense. If I have somebody who's got fibromyalgia or they're in a really bad situation, it doesn't really hurt them. And I've heard smart physicians on both sides make both that argument. But the problem is um, the framework at the federal level is set up in a, in a way that kind of contemplates the first argument. And the framework in some states is set up in a framework that meets 
this other argument, and that's really not helpful. So we really need to see uh, these things kind of mesh together, and we need the federal government to kind of figure out a, whether or not they're going to say, states, you can't do this, and pass clear legislation and language, or say, states, you can do this, and that would help us a lot. In the meantime, I think it's really important that anybody who wants to be involved in this space uh, really needs to um, uh, think about uh, the risk they're taking and be comfortable with it. This might not be for everyone, and even if it's something that you believe in and you think it's something you want to include in your practice, uh, maybe you're not the one who wants to do it because you don't sleep well taking a high level of risk. Um, and I will say that I do know some physicians in this state who think, you know, I have some people who are getting palliative care and could really use this, but I don't feel comfortable writing recommendations and I don't want to be a marijuana recommender. So they simply partner with a physician who does and they refer them. And I know, I know several doctors who've done that. So um, that might be another way that they can do it given the uncertainty. But I don't really know how exactly until the policymakers uh, create some clarity with the direction that they want to go. Um, I don't know. I don't know how. We just have to understand. There's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of risk in this area, and you have to be careful. Uh, great, great. Thank you. So, um, do you have any other words of advice for us, or anything else you want to leave us with? I mean, you've given us so much great advice and and words. So, do you have anything else? No, I think the I think this is a a very interesting space in medical law because it's changing so much right now. Uh, and I just want to reiterate um, that the, your state medical society is a good place for a first start. Most states have information on this topic and can point you in the right direction. Uh, and like I said, if you look on our website, we have an open to the public, nothing's hidden links that kind of give overview of both some of the federal law issues and state law issues and guidance on some question you asked and other questions like that. Um, I do also think that um, one other uh, issue that I think is going to be a big one as this industry grows is um, the dispensaries and the growers, really you should treat them like pharma companies and follow the same type of rules. In the state of Maryland, we have prohibitions on them giving gifts or things of value uh, to practitioners. Other states, uh, some of them don't have as larger restrictions. But I would just advise to anybody who's going to do this that you really should keep an arm's length from those companies to protect yourself from getting in a bad spot uh, with that. Um, I'm always willing to answer any other specific questions or comments. People can either tweet me or they can email me and, and we're tr we'll try to help them out and get them in the right direction. I think this is an interesting and a exciting area where there's a lot of work that's going to be need to be done, both on the policy side, but maybe more importantly on the clinical side where we really need to do more research and find out whether or not this, this product really does make a difference or it doesn't, and whether or not um, we can use it to, to heal some things or, or whether it's really just a, a placebo effect or something else. And I've heard really smart physicians argue both sides of it, and I don't know who's right uh, because I'm a lawyer, not a doctor. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for... Uh for joining us on the on the webinar today and for for leading us uh, today, I appreciate that. Um, attendees, if you could please use uh, contact information here, and uh, if you have any other questions, you can uh, send them to us, and we'll forward them on. Uh, please remember that your PACOM and your PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you from within two days following the broadcast. There's no need to request it. 
You can also register for any future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. And thank you for joining us.